Hey, Adra. Hey, Virginia. So we're doing something a little different today. We're actually going to play an episode from a totally different podcast we love. It's called Grown, spelled G-R-O-W-N, and it's from The Moth. The Moth is that storytelling event where people get up on a stage and tell a true story about themselves to a live audience. Literally terrifying. Yeah, I agree. But it makes for great listening. Um, Anyway, Grown is all about the experience of growing up. There's conversations, true stories told live, and young people grappling with big questions. And we wanted to play this episode because in October, Borrowed is going to be releasing a new podcast series about book bans and censorship, which impact young people most of all. Right. We spent the past few months talking with teens across the country about the books they want to read and their experiences of censorship in libraries and classrooms. Which is why we're particularly excited to bring you this episode from Grown. It's from their first season, and it's all stories about culture and identity, both topics that we'll be digging into in our upcoming season. So without further ado, here's host Aliza Cosmi and Fonzo Lacayo, bringing you stories about culture, race, identity, hair, and periods. You can subscribe to the first season of Grown wherever you get your podcast, and the second season is coming out this fall. So I don't know if this is a tradition at most schools, but in my elementary school, we had an annual international day where students who wanted to participate got to walk in a parade in our very large um, outdoor playground. And if you wanted to, you could dress up as the country you were representing and we'd be walking, marching in a line while uh, like all of the parents were there and all the students that weren't in in the parade watched um there was like a bugle that would play classic american songs but you know i i'm half afghan half pakistani so every year i would trade which country i represented and the parade we'd march in alphabetical order by country so either i'd be at the front or i'd be kind of towards the middle or back if i was representing pakistan Um, and my favorite part was that i got to dress in my traditional clothing Um, whether it's Pakistani or Afghan clothes, I loved dressing in traditional clothing and getting to show off my like fancy sparkly dresses and wearing my patent leather Mary Janes. My mom, shout out to her, came to every single one of my school events, including International Day, and would record them, the entire thing from start to finish. And though we never really rewatched them, um, the audio that you're hearing now is from one of those videos. So thanks, mom. Afghanistan is a small country in South Central Asia and it's worked by Iran, Pakistan, China, and the former Soviet Union. And I kind of had mixed feelings about this parade. I think growing up I always had a difficult relationship with my heritage because I'm you know, from two different countries, which to the rest of the world seem very similar, but in reality have very, very different cultures. So I never really felt like I was fully Afghan or fully fully Pakistani and I didn't know where I fit even when I was standing in this parade and um, in the moment you know I didn't love international day because it would always be kind of towards the end of the school year so it'd be super hot and I'd be in my heavy long beautiful traditional clothing but sweating like crazy Um, but now looking back on it you know I really love that I grew up in a community that wanted to celebrate all of the cultures of the people in it. Grown. 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 Hello, I'm Fonzo. And I'm Aliza. And this is Grown, a podcast from the moth full of stories about what it means to grow up. In this episode, culture, heritage, and identity. 
We've got stories about the culture and the communities that we're raised in and how they shape who we become. First up is Alina Fogden, all the way from Australia. In Indian culture, periods are celebrated with a grand party. You literally get gold as a present for crossing the threshold into womanhood. And for me, a child who never had extravagant birthday parties but enjoy, I'm saying that present tense, being the centre of attention at any cost, um, couldn't help but feel getting my period would mark the most important day of my life, much like your first passion underage party or getting your L's. So in my house, periods were never shrouded in secrecy, nor did we ever shy away from conversations about sex, drugs or alcohol. In fact, I've heard about all of my dad's sexual conquests before he fell in love with my mum, whether I wanted to or not. And this is not to say our openness was anything new, but our ease around the subject of periods in particular was something I would soon find out was definitely not dinner material or shared by my friends. Um, so finally the day came and I squealed excitedly from the bathroom to the surprise and amusement to my dad in the other room. And soon after, the preparations began and I was told I could invite whoever I wanted to my party. Bear in mind, I'm 12 years old, year seven, it's April, so I've known these people for two months. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I didn't think that my period party was anything different to a bat mitzvah or your average birthday at McDonald's like everyone used to have. Um, and for the most part, the invitations were well received, particularly from the boys, okay, who I think were more excited about the Indian feast than they were about the reason itself. Um, and in all honesty, and to the credit of every teenage romance film ever made, I thought it was really smart to invite boys to my period party um, because it could be a way I could even woo my crush. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, but when it came to the girls, I was actually met with a lot of hostility and awkwardness. Um, I was told the following things in preparation for my period party. Rest in peace any nice pair of underwear you own, okay? Pads and tampons, you have to hide them so the boys don't know you're menstruating. You've got cramps, there's leakage, there's, you know, bloating, the unholy trinity. You can't go into, uh, do any water sports, and that sucked because I was a swimmer. Um, and pee was out of the question. One girl, we're going to call her Michelle, bit of a bitch, told me that she wouldn't actually be coming to my party because it was weird and disgusting. Uh, so I went home to my parents feeling humiliated that I had so openly gone to school and announced to everyone that I was on my rags. Um, <laughs> uh, so Michelle's words and my humiliation seemed to override all those notions of beauty that I was always taught to associate with being a woman. And I became really nervous that sharing my Indian culture would result in losing all of these new friendships that I'd made. Um, and then I'd be this lonely menstruating Indian chick who... <laughs> um, Everyone knows when she has her period. Great. Uh, so finally the day came and I distinctly remember my mum waking up at like 4am uh, cooking curry and pakoras and the smell wafted through the house. Tiny unit, I should say. It's not a house. Um, 
And as I woke up, there was a bath laden with rose petals and lavender oil. It was very lush and excessive. And the old me um, would have loved this because I just love the attention. But I just couldn't get Michelle's words out of my head. And, you know, the night progressed. People started arriving. I was shouting gifts in gold, which is pretty amazing. Gold and money and flowers, and I was pleasantly surprised when the boys dressed as if they were attending a wedding. I don't think they knew the vibe. Um, you know, and I, throughout the night I had three outfit changes, and I was watched attentively by everyone in attendance um, as my mum poked and prodded and twisted a sari around me multiple times. Um, and I, at these moments I felt really exposed, but that slowly started to fade as the night went on, and I was surrounded by these wonderful people who supported me and loved me. Um, And I found solace in the stories of the women around me who recalled awkward times that they had their period. Um, And the fact that we as women share this experience, even if it is uncomfortable and often unspoken. But most importantly, I felt proud that I'm part of a culture that celebrates this part in a woman's life. And funnily enough, Michelle got her period two months after the party. And I remember barely being able to suppress my contempt and smugness as she asked me for a tampon on the hallway. (laughs) And (laughs) she's actually now a journalist um, and often posts things on Facebook. And I I stalk it um, like there's no tomorrow. (laughs) And she often posts Facebook articles about the tampon tax and the censoring of female bodies and the injustice of it all. And I particularly liked her post last Wednesday, um, (laughs) where she talked about how women should never feel disgust, weird or humiliated about their periods. If only she had come to this realisation 14 years earlier, she'd have a nice side of curry on the side of that epiphany. (laughs) I wish her well. Thank you. That was Alita Fogden. We asked Alita how her younger self would describe her now, and she said... I'd like to think my young self would be proud of the fact that I've become an educator. It's something that I'm very passionate about, and also that the experience and lessons I've taken with me since the event described in the story have made me a more confident and empowered person. If you want to see a photo of Alita with her parents, we've got one on our website, themoth.org grown. We've got that and a bunch of other cool stuff. Up next, a story about making a decision at church. But first, Fonzo, Alita's story has really got me thinking about traditions. Do you have any traditions, like, besides from food, that you want to pass down? Yeah, I want to, just the pride, pride in um, being Honduran, um, pride in being African-American. Also, my mom, uh, Taino, Native American, just those things. I don't have, like, a a big um, anchor to one culture. I have many mm. different cultures, especially living, coming from the Bronx, where there wasn't that many people of the same descent or the same values that my family shares. Or yeah. No, I, I totally resonate with, like, not growing up in one one culture or identity. And I feel like if you're—sometimes if you're not white in America, or, you know, of <laughs> multiple lines of generations, you're forced mm. to clarify and declare to other people the culture that you grew up in. Um, and you have to be, like, the per- perfect representative of that culture. Mm. And I found a lot of the times while I was growing up that people would tell me, oh, your family's so white. Like, what? 
does that mean, my family's so white? Because if you look at us, we're not white. So when I'd ask people who would say that, who would be friends that would say this, I'm like, what do you mean by that? They'd be like, well, you know, you guys just aren't like the typical brown family. You guys are super Americanized. I'm like, yeah, well, because my dad grew up in Pennsylvania and my mom grew up between California and New York. So they're going to be Americanized. Mm. And it was just frustrating that, you know, I was expected to fit some kind of stereotype because of the color of my skin or the fact that my parents were immigrants. And they are immigrants, but they came here very young. Mm -hmm. And I never really felt like I had to whitewash myself necessarily. I always tried to stay proud of my culture. But then, you know, it kind of got hard as a kid. Like, people would, you know, bully or say awful things like kids do. And so I shied away from my culture and now I, I, I'm trying to figure out what exactly my yeah. relationship is with and it. I feel that. I mean, that's like you don't have to wear, you know, your culture on your sleeve. You don't mm-hmm. have to show it. I feel like it's something that you just know of. Like you and your family, you make – you told me you make a lot of food with your grandparents mm-hmm. and you yeah. cook and you do things in the house. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. Something that I really love about Alita's story is that even when the kids were nasty towards her, she stood really strong and proud of her culture. And clearly to to this day, she's still very proud of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's such a beautiful thing and a really strong thing to do. I mean, I think there's a lot of pressure when you're living in, you know, America or Australia or somewhere where maybe your personal culture is not the dominant um, you feel pressure to let go of it, to mm. quote-unquote assimilate, um, and you begin to, I don't know, get a colonized mind about the culture yeah. that you're in. Like, oh, this is not the right way to do it. I shouldn't I shouldn't eat these foods. I shouldn't look like this. I shouldn't celebrate these things because that's not yeah. what the other people are doing. Yeah, and it's finding your own relationship with that. Like, one thing about my culture, my Honduran culture at least, is that I couldn't speak Spanish mm. and— um, I couldn't speak the Honduran language. And so, like, at family events and barbecues, I was unable to really uh, speak to some of my cousins and some of uh, family friends because they were very heavily um, dominant in the language. And I just, you know, I couldn't. And, you know, even sometimes to this day, like, I, I, I don't really have too many Honduran friends or, you know, hang around too much of uh my Honduran relatives, because my father's brothers and sisters are very spread out far mm-hmm. apart, and he's not too close to certain aunts and uncles. And it's a part of me that I don't really feel too close to close with because um, my grandmother and my aunt, who I was really close with, passed. Mm-hmm. And so I don't really have that rock or stone to hold I used to go to a certain place and have food ready and have to get to hug on my aunts and get to not really speak with them because they only speak with them, but I get to, <laughs> I get to, I got to feel that love. But yeah. I don't really get that rock. And so mm-hmm. now sometimes I, I just try to hang out with my cousins as, as much as I can, play Fortnite with them <laughs> <laughs> when they're online or Call yeah. of Duty and, uh, you know, try to keep in touch. What about you? I really relate to that because I don't speak either language of my mother tongue, and that's definitely held me back in really understanding my culture. I think, um, you know, thankfully my grandparents spoke and and speak English um, to to a certain extent, but as they get older, you know, they're they're speaking it less and less, and it's definitely cutting me off from my culture in that way. But, um, you know, one of my favorite ways to connect with my family is just to ask them questions about 
their lives. You know, obviously I love storytelling, so I love hearing stories from, you know, back home because I've never been to Pakistan or Afghanistan either. So it's it's really hard to describe, you know— have you been to Honduras before? No, I've never been. I was yeah, I don't know if you feel like this, but I feel like there's literally a limb from my body missing because I I haven't gotten the chance to go back. Um, and it's really it's a really difficult thing to describe, like f- knowing that home is a place that I've never seen, but knowing that that is my home and my heart. You know, mm-hmm. I'll never be really complete unless I get to go there. Um, and I don't know if I will if I will ever get a chance to go to Afghanistan. I do hope to go to Pakistan sometime soon. But, um, you know, I think as my grandparents get older and, and um, you know, my grandfather passed away, that that was a reminder to me that it's really up to me to carry my culture as much as I can and learn from my elders as much as I can um, with the time that I have with them. Yeah. Up next, we've got a story that touches on that, the idea of culture and belonging and who you are. It's by Katiana Cicerone, who told the story as part of the Mott's education program in 2019. Here's Katiana. Okay, so growing up, I realized that out of my entire family, I'm the only Haitian American, I have the most thickest and toughest hair. And I'm talking about breaking combs, ripping bristles out of the brush, okay, snapping them in two. I'm, I'm so serious. Like, everything's gone. So <laughs> I have come to learn that I have to learn how to just deal with my hair and appreciate it. I've also learned not to let anybody touch it because it's your hair. Like, you just, it's it's called respect, right? Okay. So, um, growing up, I kind of realized that some people don't respect that personal space of (laughs) not, like, touching you and your hair. So... It has come down to this one time. I'm an altar server in, a ch- in my church, and I basically, like, just help the priest or the pastor on the altar. And this one time, I go to church in Bantu knots. So because of my hair texture and stuff like that, I have to constantly change my hairstyle. And I'm pretty sure most of you can relate in the audience, right? Okay. So this one time, I come to Bantu knots. I come in with Bantu knots. And... There's this one bantonaut in my head that took half an hour to simply roll up, put gel in, and twist. Don't know why, but it took 30 minutes. So I'm particularly frustrated and nervous about this one bantonaut in my head. And every time I come into church with a different hairstyle, there's this one lady counting how many hairstyles I have. And then there's this other lady who's just like, how do you get your hair to be like that? Do you use water? And I'm just like... If only it was that easy, woman. If only. <laughs> so, I also noticed that the priest likes to comment on my hair. So, this is one specific time I'm bringing up, I guess, the communion to the priest. And he comments on my hair. Your hair looks so nice and beautiful. Thank you. And I noticed that his hand is moving from his side to go to my head. And I don't know if it's just me, but everything went slow. And I realized he's heading specifically for that one bantu knot (laughs) that refuses to stay in my head. And I did the most terrible thing ever. (laughs) I slapped his hand away from my head. 
yes, yes, in church. And <laughs> as I slap his hand away, he pulls out the man to knot from my head. <laughs> and so the church is already quiet, but for some reason it got even quieter. And I don't know what to do. So I quickly bow and run off the altar <laughs> to the back. Come. I'm feeling nervous. I'm like, I'm going to get kicked off the altar service. Nobody's going to want to see me anymore. Like, oh my gosh, my mom is about to whoop my behind when I get home. And it's like, ugh. So I'm like, okay, just calm down. He will understand if you just explain to him what's going on. And so I go after the mass is done and I explain to him, I'm like, I didn't mean to slap your hand away from my head. It is just that particularly somebody like me, I would have to say, it takes really long time for our hair to stay in this one specific hairstyle. And it gets highly, highly, highly annoying when someone doesn't respect your privacy and just comes and invades it. And he forgives me, he understands, and he's like, everything's cool. And I've come to realize that nobody in the church realizes what's going on, by the way, because nobody came up to me. So I'm like, okay, cool, fine. I can come back next Sunday. It's just pray to God. But I come to realize that people, how should I say this? Okay. Um, us, us people, African-Americans, right? We are educated on other people's culture and their backgrounds. However, they are not always educated on ours. So we cannot always go around blaming people for the things that they do if they don't know what exactly they're doing. Thank you. That was Katiana Cicerone. We asked her how her younger self would describe her now, and she said, they would say I've become more distinct in my wants and needs when it comes to bettering myself. We wanted to check in with Katiana. It's been about three years since she told this story, and we were curious to see if her perspective had changed. So Fonza and I sat down with her. I uh, love your story so much. I am a person who also has African-American yeah. hair. <laughs> I've, I've had braids and locks, like, most of my life, and yeah. it's like— uh, I've had, like, uh, personal experiences where people oh, oh, my God, your hair. I've never seen— like hair like this before, mm-hmm. and then just take the 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 jump of uh, right, touching or you know uh, it's not only a personal space issue but it's also you know like uh you know this is something that I work on this is something that I you know moisturize and take identity, care of like, you know yeah. this I this part of me and you know uh, even though like. Uh, it's great to see the perspective, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, get to understand, you know, uh, and see both sides, but also, you know. Yeah, and I actually thank you for bringing that point up because I feel like not a lot of people of color mention that, like, their hair is a part of their identity at the end of the day. It's something that you invest in, you know? Like, you mm-hmm. put a lot of time, like, I have to buy $10 <laughs> worth of, like, <laughs> deep conditioner, and it's just one bottle, and everybody else's is, like, four or five dollars per bottle you know like Mm. and our market for like the market for our hair is like very targeted specifically Mm. so 
you know, I just appreciate you bringing that up because I feel like not a, people, a lot of people, you know, are comfortable doing that. Yeah, mm. definitely. Like, if you could go back in time and talk to the version of yourself that was there that day when your pastor touched your hair, what would you say to her? Um, I would probably tell her to calm down. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, it's not the end of the world. Like, you know, mm. um, you did not just commit a sin. You're not going to jail. <laughs> you know, like, you're fine. Um, you know, but do protect what you have because at the end of the day, once again, it is yours and it's something that you're going to have to live with and nobody else is. So I that's, I think if I was to see her at that time, I would tell her that. Yeah. I love that. Oh, love that. Thank you. Yeah. I, I wanted to add on to that because I feel like you don't have to be as understanding when it comes to like your hair and stuff like that, especially for like a black woman or man. Um, it's once I, like I said, it's your, it's a part of your identity, essentially. Um, and it's something that you put time and effort into it and that nobody else would understand but yourself. So if you feel like, hey, like, excuse me, ma'am, excuse me, sir, I'm not a display at the museum, please, mm-hmm. like, go stand six feet to the left or to the right and do something with your life instead of, like, touching me. That is completely fine, and that's an understandable reaction because at the end of the day, that is your body and that is your personal space, mm-hmm. and it's something that should be respected and protected, like, at all times. So mm-hmm. you don't always have to be as understanding as I was because also I felt like I was just, like, a little kid. <laughs> so it was just, mm-hmm. like— a bunch of grown adults coming at me, like, mm. if I had, like, made the situation bigger than it was, mm. wouldn't have been, like, a pretty picture, especially since at the time I was regarded as, like, a senior server because I had been serving for a little while at the church at that point. So, yeah. Interesting. I mean, I think that you seem like such an accepting person, and I love that. And I think you're right that, that not everyone would have that reaction or response. But I think it's also frustrating how sometimes we have to pick between comfort and wanting to speak up for ourselves. Mm. I mean, it's just a constant struggle that I think everybody has to deal with as certain situations in their life. Yeah, 100%. And um, that's definitely something I had to, you know, go through. But it's something I had to go through at a young age is what ended up making me so understanding. But, you know, I don't want people to think that, like, it's a necessarily a bad thing if you don't speak up. That's great. And I, I think there could be power in both. Yeah. 100%. Definitely. Um that's so true that I like um I had a really hard time when <laughs> um I was I would pass this um Planned Parenthood mm-hmm. um and they and there would be anti-protesters outside saying awful, just like medically incorrect, factually incorrect things. Yeah. And I would pass it on like on a commute that I would have every once in a while. And I every time I'd pass, I'd like build up the courage to want to say something. And then I wouldn't. And I would be so disappointed in myself for not standing up for my beliefs, for not calling them out on their lies and BS. Um, until one day I was expressing this to someone and they said to me like, no, you are preserving your peace because you know that if you had said anything to those people – because of who they are, because of how radical they were in their mm-hmm. thinking, you wouldn't have made any kind of positive change, and you would have probably brought on emotional or potentially physically harm onto yourself, right? And there are other ways for us to speak up about what we believe in, whether it's about protecting our hair and our physical, you know, body self or our political beliefs or whatever it is. There is a time and a place for everything, mm-hmm. and you can either speak up in a moment or take action in a different way that speaks to what you believe. I like the fact that your friend told you that because I feel like there's not a lot of people nowadays to tell you, like, hey, like, you might not, like, you might need to, like, take a second for yourself because this is actually, like, really affecting you, you know? So, 
Well, I hope you have many more short stories to share. I think you do. I hope I do. (laughs) (laughs) No, I do, I do. It was so amazing to get to talk to Katiana. One of my favorite days in the studio was the day that she came. It was so amazing. So, Fonzo, what's up for our next episode? Well, Elisa, I'm glad you asked. We'll be getting secretive. Here's a clip. And so I decided that I would write a message to someone in my life every night on my hand. And I took a photo of it every night, and I started a blog. Um, I didn't tell anyone about it. Oh, I'm excited. Remember, no matter how old you are, you're never fully grown. Alfonso Lucayo is a Moth alumni from the Bronx, New York. He's passionate, creative, and makes music. And if he's not hosting this podcast, you can find him putting essential oils in his hair. Aliza Cosme is a multimedia storyteller, passionate about using the power of storytelling for the social good. If she wasn't hosting this podcast and had no student loan debt, she'd own the best restaurant in Queens with the best risotto you've ever had. Grown's senior editor is Sarah Jane Johnson, and Grown's senior producer is Mark Sollinger. That's me. With support from the Moss education and artistic teams, as well as our executive producer, Sarah Austin Janesse. Katiana Cicerone's story had coaching from Melissa Brown and Diavion Walters. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the work of the Moss education team, Melissa Brown, Anna Stern, and Devin Elise Wilson, as well as our instructors, past and present. Mixing is by Davey Sumner, with original music and sound design by Davey Sumner and Luke Williams. We're grateful to former producer Julia Purcell, intern K.A. Carter, our teen focus group, and everyone who was kind enough to send us audio for our montages. The Moss leadership team includes Catherine Burns, Sarah Haberman, Jennifer Hickson, Meg Bowles, Kate Tellers, Jennifer Birmingham, Marina Cloutier, Suzanne Rust, Brandon Grant, Leanne Gully, Inga Glodowski, and Aldi Kaza. All Moss stories are true, as remembered and affirmed by the storytellers. Grown is presented by PRX.